seems cold and bleak and you just can't take it anymore. Here it comes, that glimmer of hope, a light shines through the dark. It's a hopeless show, with Aaron and Rohit Woe. It's a hopeless show, with Aaron and Rohit Woe. Welcome, Olivia Dabo, to our show. And the mattress, so you're asking about this mattress. So why is it there? Yeah, uh, why? One day I came into the office and this mattress was just there. And why? instead of asking him about it, instead of moving it, instead of sleeping on it, I just let it sit there. And then we'll right. post some pictures from the show. And listeners were asking... Aaron, why the hell do you have a mattress behind you <laughs> just yeah. like you did? And yes. so then someone submitted. Was it your idea, Rohit, to do this or did someone ask us to do it? I forget. No, so Alice, the listener, was like, what the hell is this? I hate it. Um, this is offensive and in like just visually offensive. She's an artist and she's like, this right. is just so it looks just terrible. But so then we decided we are going to name the mattress Alice and give it eyes <laughs> and googly eyes. And so, yeah, it's our mascot now. So it this is our is. show mascot. Yeah. yeah. What do you think? I, I think it's great. I just think you want to be careful that it doesn't take the attention off of you because it's really the star in the room. I know, but that just speaks and you're to the star. No, but it speaks to how little a presence I have on screen. <laughs> I mean, they say that sometimes the best acting is when you're not speaking. And really, it's stealing the scene. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's a scene stealer. That's yeah. what it is. Well said, Rowan. Yeah, it's stoic. Well, it is very right. stoic. It's yeah. so still that it steals the scene because it just has these eyes. I'm trying. I'm trying to focus on you, Aaron. But my, I have to be honest. I'm not going to lie. My eyes, my eyes go to its eyes. The mattress is far better looking than me too. So it's just. Uh, <laughs> I, I I I get it. I don't it. know about that. I don't know about that. <laughs> um, you had to think about it. So, um... <laughs> listen, it's just that things are getting weirder and weirder. So I'm trying to go with the flow. You know That's the I mean? goal of the show. But we'll we'll take it back for a second because no one uh, no one listening can see this mattress. But I will put a picture up of it again just so you can see what we're talking about. But yeah. Olivia, it is so good to have you here. Um, you've done so much in your in your career and life. And you're such a cool person. And so what's been going on? I know I want to, I, I have a bunch of things I want to talk about, but first I know you were just in New York. Um, is it, is some, whatever was going on in New York, is it something you can share? Or is it a unshareable thing? Oh, well, um, I could talk about what I did in Kentucky before I went to New York. I uh, was just in New York. Actually, it was very exciting. I, I just did a one year's reunion, so with with the whole family, and and we Whoa. just uh, yeah we did a we did that in New Jersey, and it was just an opportunity for kind of fans uh, to come and to see us and and us to do sort of like uh, you know meet and greets and and uh, you know there were a lot of it was it, it was like a huge kind of it was like a cross between a rock and roll convention and a a re reuniting of uh you know wonderful shows like the sopranos and the wonder years and uh the beach boys were there and huh. <laughs> you know um uh gosh 
some really great heavy metal groups actually because I'm I, I actually love like Metallica and uh God, I'm trying to remember the name Metalhead was it Metalhead a Motorhead oh. or was was Danzig oh. there also um who uh Danzig because it this sounds like a lot in New Jersey uh, yeah I'm well, from New Jersey had, yeah it, yeah it, you know vibe wise it was uh it had kind of a, a CBGB's vibe to it, Ooh. which is sort of a New Jersey thing, isn't it? Because if you think about the Ramones and, you the know, New York like Dolls, all those guys, that's all yeah. that's all New Jersey. And it's uh, yeah. there's just so much artistry that I don't I don't think Lou Reed is from New Jersey, but he, you know, just speaking of CBGB's and all the people that played there, obviously, the Talking Heads and Blondie and all these groups that came out of there. But yeah, the New York Dolls, it had very much that vibe. And when you think about that, and then that permeates into the Sopranos and then the Wonder Years, like Priscilla Presley was there. It was just really kind of cool. It was this Whoa. amalgamation and the Beach Boys. So it was this amalgamation of all these different kind of genres that all meshed together. And uh, so that was super cool. And uh, it was it's like a business trip sort of work trip but also i used to live in new york so i got an opportunity to see a lot of old friends from when i was there doing the odd couple in 2007 i was there doing broadway so so that was really super cool and uh, i actually i actually enjoyed it more than when i lived there when i last lived there and i don't know if that's a sort of covid thing of, of sort of appreciating life more and mm you know, having a lot more gratitude about, you know, your environment and where you get to go because you've sort of morphed and evolved uh, or what, but it was just stunning. I mean, I got to go to upstate New York and go to the Hudson Valley, which I'd never been to before, which was really lovely and a town called Millbrook. I've been there. Yeah. Did you make it really up to lovely. Beacon? I didn't, but I really wanted to go to Woodstock and apparently it wasn't far from mm -hmm. from from where my friend and I were. So but I took the train up and was really amazed by uh, the body of waters, you know, whether it be the Hudson River that you follow that you, scenically, it's just so gorgeous. You follow it up all the way on the train and then also like going to the airport because I flew back through JFK the driver because of the rush hour traffic to it took a different route and it was uh it was a scenic route that again you know followed the hudson river and i was just like i was just blown away by the beauty and the weather was spectacular the may in new york i i don't ever seem to have remembered when i lived there or or any other time that i've been there being there in the springtime it's really really beautiful it's uh and that train Whenever I take, I've taken it a lot, and it it is stunning. And I play Billy Joel. I ha I just need oh to play God. Billy Joel while on that train because it's the Hudson River line, and I play uh, uh, the song over and over again. It never gets old because you're looking out. It's it's like he uh, yeah. that's that that song is speaking to you, and it's and that train. It's just a yeah. It is. It's probably the best train ride I think I've ever done, and sound and you've never done it so. Um, and that's the whole point of this show is we're going to talk about our train rides. Okay, great. <laughs> I was actually invited um, to see Billy Joel while I was there, and I, I uh, oh. he was playing uh, Madison Square Garden, and I wished I'd been free to go that night. 
because uh, you know he's kind of a legend and how many off how many times can you go and see billy joel i was I really i was invited to a yankees game and a billy joel concert night i couldn't go because of work but yeah but next time and uh and the convention was in the city because uh no, it was in new jersey oh it was in jersey and then yeah. um and then kentucky you had mentioned you had yeah. some in Kentucky I, I, I too. Just did, I've just done a, a a new series called uh, Hot Kitchen, which is um, a hilarious spoof of a a, um, a cooking show. And it's very much uh, in the vein of Ki- Christopher Guest. You know the kind of a, the, the spoof life, the spoof aspect of it. It's um, you know very straight, very deadpan, but incredibly hilarious and very unwoke, <laughs> which <laughs> you know I think. Yes. I yes. think we all find that rather refreshing. Um, so <laughs> I, I I play this character um, called Bam Bam, and um, I decided to do, I do a lot of voiceovers, so I decided to use my sort of prepubescent, you know, boy voice. Um, you know, so I kind of like gave her this voice, you know, and she's kind of, <laughs> she's like, from the Midwest, her name's Bam Bam, you know, and she's a lesbian. But, uh, yeah, but she's sort of stuck in the 90s, you know, and uh, she lives in, in Portland. And um, I own an all-female, all, uh, you know, female-operated steakhouse called Butch. You know, that's, <laughs> in that's in Portland. And, you know, I've got a wife and some cats, you know. And I love the show. Like, I'm, I'm a huge fan of the show. Uh, but I get to be on the show, and that's what's so exciting. And I, I kind of win. I win the show. I, I win. The, I'm, I'm, I'm like one of the contestants who wins. I win at the end. I'm, I'm the best cook. So, um, <laughs> wait, wait, really wait. Fun. Can I, can I, can I ask you a question as Bam Bam? Yeah, go uh, shoot, shoot for it. All right. So, so Bam Bam, uh, when this show comes out. Uh, do you think it's going to skyrocket you uh, to the top? Uh, to, you know, the restaurant will succeed. And and will there be anyone that you're not going to allow into the restaurant? Well, you know, I'm very green. So, you know, <laughs> I, yeah, definitely. I, I'm going to basically have my pick of the crop of wherever I want to work, you know, because it's kind of raised my pedigree of cooking up a couple of notches. But uh yeah, I mean, I'm not going to let in any people who are just, you know, bullshit con artists. You know? <laughs> it's got to be people who are sort of genuine and want to be there for the food and like the food that I make. Yeah. Um, I mean, so fuck. Like, if, if you don't if you don't like the person, they're out. If I don't like them and I'm really I mean, for me to not like somebody is like a big deal because I, I'm pretty open to every kind of personality. But uh you know, there's some people that just smell really bad. You know, they don't take care of themselves. And uh, yeah, they're just not really worthy of the, you know, the, the cuisine that I make. So that's really the litmus test right there. And and just one last question, Bam Bam. Um, uh, so Jews. Um, Did you say Jews? Yeah, Jews. Are, are Jews, are Jews going to be allowed? I'm a Jew, so I'm just curious if I'll be allowed. I, I would I would certainly let Jews in. Yeah, no problem. I mean, I'm half Jew too. Excellent. My yes. mother is my mother's Jewish, so that means I'm Jewish, right? Um. Yeah. I mean, sure. Why not? Yes. I'm a I'm an Iraqi Jew, though. 
There's a big difference. <laughs> Dude, that's me too. That's crazy. Well, what, where, I mean, where's your heritage from, from Baghdad or are you like, uh, yeah, Baghdad, Baghdad. My family's from Baghdad and my grandparents are from, ba uh, my grandfather was born in Baghdad. They met, uh, during a war. I don't remember the name of it. It was like the Persian ish Gulf war or desert storm desert. Yeah. Oh, desert yeah, storm. Storm. That was rough. That was a good one. That was a fun one. Yeah, <laughs> that was well. Thank you, Bam Bam, for being on the show. Sure, anytime. <laughs> thank you so much for the curiosity. Yes, <laughs> I'm Bam curious. Uh, I'm so Bam curious. Yeah, you can you can steal <laughs> that and use it for this for your restaurant. Um, okay, great name for a title of a restaurant. <laughs> Bam curious. So, <laughs> well, that was fun. So I am so, Roy. What are you? Are, I'm so into this show. I, I yeah, me too. Uh, me when too. Can we watch I, uh, it? When and where? Yeah, when and where? Well, well it's well, you know what? It's sort of perfect timing because we uh, there's a writer strike, as you all know. Yeah. Um. So things are sort of it's for for a show that that has yet to uh, be picked up. I mean, obviously, it's. <clears throat> I think the likelihood of, I don't want to say Netflix because I know people are sort of like. Netflix, bad, bad yeah. right now with the with but the money, strike. money, but, but, good. But in terms of the edginess of the show, uh, it's you know I'm sure that 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 they are a contender and Hulu and and you know so it's sort of like uh, people are getting getting dibs on it right now, and it's a great opportunity because there's not a lot of con there's no content really other than scripts that are already written. That are being made right now just depending on how long this strike lasts which it's um, probably going to be yeah what uh because i think it's going to last a a long time i think also being uh, surrounded which yeah, sucks which sucks it but, sucks because it affects so many people from you know grips to writers directors actors you know i mean catering uh wardrobe i mean you know an entire industry that you know each person is part of the tribe to sort of put together a show a movie um even, as even you know market. so even the marketing um, department even the marketing yeah, I mean, department everybody, it's it everybody puts everybody, it's, puts everybody yeah. uh out of out of work and and you know it's it's uh it couldn't be worse timing really could it with this in, <laughs> this inflation that we're going that we're having to contend with and going into the summer you know no, you know but, what we you know what we don't what we, we could use right now is money. <laughs> yeah, lots of it, lots of it, L lots of know. it. Um, but let's go. Let's talk about like happier times for a minute. Because I just thought to myself, it might be rather ironic. It's strange, rather, that if like a bunch of directors and actors and everybody that we've just been talking about, the whole pool of. Uh, people that 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 make make a show uh, just started just started uh, going toward crime. <laughs> like, you know, ripping off people's cars and like, you know, it, it just. I think that's a show within a show. Like all these people who have a certain level of of quality of life, you know, because they earn a certain amount, you know, every year that that money just isn't coming in anymore. You know what? What do those kind of people do? What, what, how far are they going to take it to, to bring some income in? You know? you know, it's really funny you say that because I shit you not. 
I don't know if it was last night or this morning that Aaron and I were literally texting about starting our own crime syndicate. Yes, no. so that we can. We were. Yeah, so we can kind of. Yeah, literally, we were like, "Oh, hey, listen, we need to we need to hustle and make some money." So, if you would like to join our crime syndicate, we are accepting applications. I'm in. I'm in. Excellent. Like yeah, Excellent. I think I could yeah. really bring a lot to the party. Yes, and so we hope to have good like like dental and yeah you know, just good benefits Insurance yeah we, is everything i mean yeah. listen let's not let's 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 not kid ourselves right yeah insurance is everything <laughs> and in this case what we our plan for medical is to go hold up a doctor's <laughs> office and then make them do any procedures that are necessary yeah exactly i mean you know some people might go as far as you know having a whole new face put on so that they don't get recognized for kind of robbing a bank that's that's perfect. We can do that. Um, we can hold up. We're we're also happy to hold up any plastic surgeon in yeah. our crime syndicate. Right. Yeah, we, we are amassing quickly a collection. You know, if you've seen a Game of Thrones, you know, like the faceless men, we do have quite a a, a building collection of just faces um, yeah. that we've skinned that we could use yeah. in these situations. And we have mattresses. Yeah, it's great. Uh, and we have this mattress. So everything you need for a crime family. Yeah. Uh, so that's the plan. Um, and anyone, anyone listening, if you'd like to join our crime syndicate, you can, uh, you can, inst- you know where to reach us on Instagram, and uh, and we'll accept your applications. And uh, very excited for this. And yeah. Olivia is going to be on board. So and I'm going to be, I'm going to go be going through every application just with yes. a fine tooth comb yes. to make you- sure that you guys have what it takes because. This is a really uh, undercover production. And, uh, you know, we just need to know that uh, nothing leaks out. Yes. And you will be our head of HR and our head of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Yes. Yes, we need diversity, inclusion. (laughs) We're looking for a blonde-haired British woman. Uh, White, white, blonde-haired Brit is exact yeah. for diversity yes. inclusion. So if you could yes. head up that department and yes. a good Brit goes a long way. Yes. A good as Brit. long as you fit the, you know, <laughs> the, the Aryan nation vibe. That yes. You got, you know, <laughs> <laughs> our diversity and inclus- inclusion department of our crime syndicate. And it, yeah. it, for our listeners, if you're not enjoying this conversation, I'm just, I, I don't care. Because we, <laughs> We are. <laughs> it's really just about us, after all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, why don't I? Well, let's go back a little bit because I I do have actual questions for you that you? Um, that I think people. That's yeah, impressive. it's it's impressive. I know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I am curious how you got into this stupid industry in the first place because I know you started with um, you were in uh, the big Arnold Schwarzenegger movie and. Uh, how did that come about? Why why did you decide to uh, to to do this uh, crazy industry in the first place? Um, you know, really, it, it generated from um, I I suppose being exposed at a very young age to um, you know the theatre, living in England, and uh, having parents who were very involved in uh, you know as artists. You know, my my father being you know, the lead singer of Manfred Mann and writing these songs like Build Me Up Buttercup and Handbags and Glad Rags for Rod Stewart. And my mum was in a movie, uh, you know, a little movie called 2001 Space Odyssey and had the first oh, line. Right. And 
She was also in Hard Day's Night. Um, and, you know, was a huge model, actually. Uh, she was Vidal Sassoon's first model and brought in the A-line Bob. And there was a real sense of nostalgia uh, when I was born and uh, my brother was born into uh, this family, uh, really. And, you know, so I just was around artists throughout my childhood. And, uh, you know, we had people like Elton John coming over and going down to the basement with my dad to write a song and Cat Stevens and my dad were on mm. the same label at Arista, uh, A&M. And, um, and, you know, then they just, so I, I, you know, I just was around it. And then I started doing theater uh, in the local community um, in Taos, New Mexico. We moved to Taos, New Mexico when I was about nine. Hmm. And um, that was a complete culture shock for me, but it really gave me an understanding of, um, you know, living in America, but, you know, the, the, you know, Native American Indians who I'd never met before. And it was all the residue of Easy Rider. You know, when we first got to Taos, New Mexico, I we went onto the reservation and there was this buffalo rain dance and I got to meet Dennis Hopper and Oh, didn't wow. know who he was, but I got I get to I got to meet all these really cool Aryan men in in ponchos who wanted to be <laughs> you know Native Americans so badly <laughs> that they basically would do every anything they could aesthetically to morph into that you know because that was the epitome of coolness you know and uh, I just was really a very wide eyed and bushy tailed both my brother and I were you know uh, just with this whole new culture. Uh, we'd moved there with our three cats and, you know, my mom and dad had found this sort of treasured uh, artistic place where D.H. Lawrence had lived at one stage with his wife and, you know, Georgia O'Keeffe obviously painted all the landscapes of Santa Fe and Taos. And so D.H. Lawrence, I, I mentioned that, Mabel Dodge, R.C. Gorman. So it was a very eclectic, artistic haven, really, for whomever globally wanted to come and find it it was like a mecca of 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 the artistic world and um that in and of itself really opened my eyes to um independently of what my parents were already doing and were obviously artists it it, it enlightened me and awakened the artistic side in myself and so i you know had always written songs and i'd always loved being on stage and it just made me want to be a performer and i think just to correlate with the wonder years it, it that experience that bohemian lifestyle i think was a direct route to me eventually getting the wonder years and understanding what it was like to be a free spirit to be able to play uh you know a hippie uh, who was very opinionated and dogmatic and um you know quite uh you know just just very anti-Vietnam and so it's like it gave me a lot to play her but I think just in, in, as well as that uh, other than that it also um, made me it was like kind of priming me for um, you know taking that to the next level that by the time we got to Los Angeles you know I got an agent and when I got Conan the Destroyer I had um I just I just I mean I guess I got lucky I was the right age, but I'd always wanted to play a princess because I always wanted to be a princess. So it was kind of a 
kismet thing. I used to paint princesses and draw them when I went to a French school in London called the Lycée Francais. And I had a, we had an au pair called Mar 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 Marianique who, uh, who I'd say, you know, Marianique, will you paint me a princess, please? And she'd say, <laughs> well, yes, but you know, you have to go to school and uh, really maybe we do it when you get back. And I said, no, I want to, I want to see it now. Paint, paint a princess, <laughs> princess and looking in her in the reflection in the water and, and paint a prince behind her and I was like really into that whole theme of you know I was the quintessential girl that uh you know you you believe that dream that you know Prince Charming is going to come and you know I was just very Disney I was just born very Disney so yeah. you thought Prince Charming was going to come and then you got Arnold Schwarzenegger yeah, then I then I thought I'd go for a more muscular, ma masculine <laughs> Prince Charming, you know, with a sword and a little bit more swashbuckling and definitely Austrian suited me more, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Which is why you're on this podcast with us right now. Yes. That's right. It, it's yeah. all a whole, it's like made a, an entire figure figure eight, really. The whole thing yeah. just brought us to this moment in time. Would you say this is the lightsaber the... somewhere here? Oh, he well, loves Star Wars. Because yeah. I relate to, to lifesavers <laughs> and I... <laughs> Aside from being Disney, I'm I'm also very Star Wars, so yes. we've got both things. <laughs> and uh, what I want to, I think Rowan has some a Star Wars question, but I just am curious. So once you got on that first set of a big movie, right, with the um, big dude, big star, um, yeah, big dude, big dude. Although I, when I I met him a while back, and and he, I was surprised at how not tall he was. Like he's yeah definitely for me I really I compared to Wilt Chamberlain who was also in the film you know it was he didn't seem very tall but then you take William I mean uh, Wilt Chamberlain out of the picture he's still he's massive I mean it's just the no fat thing of like not an inch of fat a uh, very lean but incredibly muscular where there's just muscles bounding out from yeah you know from head to toe and um you know he's such a larger than life uh kind of human being that it makes him seem large and then on camera obviously you look larger or taller and so i think people have always uh assumed that he was much bigger than he was but you know let us not forget that in order to become movie stars, you actually shouldn't be very tall. No. I mean, Pacino isn't very tall. De Niro isn't very tall. You know, you meet you meet all of these people who you think is larger than life because they kind of come alive on screen and, and seem larger than life. And then you meet them in real life and they're actually half the size. So half. it's it's amazing what happens between real life and then projected onto the screen, that kind of magic that that happens. Do you think that's because maybe of how, you know, cameras are positioned and how, you know, so if there's too much of a height difference between two individuals, it ends up being a bit of, you know, they have to do a bit more work kind of with just angles and everything like that. Or do you think that plays a role into it? Well, I think that they're really technical in the t in the casting because, um, I mean, as as a as a as a, as a woman um, and even at that age, as, as a girl, um i they always you know they always kind of cast 
you know, against the man. So, you know, they are they, the first thing they ask you is how tall you are, because if you're too, if you're taller than the lead actor, it's just not going to work. So they don't go any further with their uh, interest unless you're just so amazing. I mean, I had to obviously I was 14 when I did that film. And when I kissed him, I, I had to be put on apple boxes. So that was no problem. If you're shorter than the than the leading man, it's just that if you'd put like Bridget Nielsen up against him, which, you know, yeah, they, I think you know they they'd have to really be technically savvy about how they would you know make it work aesthetically. And that I'm actually curious because we're not woke. Um, That's right. Can you the, say that again? Uh, because we're not. Woke. Wokies. Wokies. We're not wokies. Um, that movie and, you know, being 14, princess, like sort of a sexualized princess in a way, was yes, that scantily clad? Scantily clad. The, uh, the breath, the breasts <laughs> were, the breasts were showing. Is that, um, looking back right. or is that like, right? is that right? Yeah, was it exactly. <laughs> Let's get to the point. Is that right or is that wrong? Um, well, I mean, I think it's all subjective, right? I mean, it's, you know, you're going thousands of years back in time to a time that we only are familiar with through comic books, um, through artists who, you know, sort of do their best to kind of create a Sumerian, Sumerian times. And I think that the, the, the film and Raffaella and Dino De Laurentiis really, they'd already made the first Conan, they'd made Red Zonia. Um, and they were really champions in terms of creating the unknown or fantasy worlds. Um, so, and really they were the first when you think about it. I mean, you, you had Flash Gordon and, and a few other films that they were affiliated with, but um, look at the women in, in any of those films. And, yeah. and they're all scantily clad. And I think it's just that that's the way uh, women were in those days. And I think based on the fact that the genesis of all of these stories came from comic books um then i think the other way of looking at it is that was the job of the artist and so that was just a choice he made you know why do you know sex sells and women uh looking voluptuous and uh, having fewer clothes on more than more is going to sell a comic book or two more than if you would go the other way that's just kind of my take on it but uh i think um, it's funny, I was reading something on Instagram the other day that was written by, uh, it was it, it was the uh, Conan fans or something, whoever runs the all of the Conan, you know, sort of trivia stuff. And so they had a specific thing about my character, about Princess Jenna, that I found fascinating and I liked it immediately. I, you know, put a little heart by it because it was educating me in retrospect about uh, my character and they actually mention her being scantily clad but they also hmm. talk about you know her character traits and you know that she's clairvoyant and she goes where she sees herself led and why she choose uh well she didn't choose uh, uh sarah douglas's role chose conan uh because of my destiny and she needed somebody who would specifically be able to veer me in the right direction though i had a bodyguard which was bombata but um they talked about Sumerian times and, you know, she's a woman child. I mean, it was important that they cast somebody who was spunky and, 
uh, de definitely still had that adolescent uh, uh, quality, but is becoming a woman and obviously girls at that particular time, you know, it's they're making a transition and they're exercising their power. And I think right. part of that is, um, you know, you are your hormones change, you, you start to become more aware of your body and, you know, and and she I think carried herself like a princess that eventually then permeated into being a queen, which I thought was really cool. Uh, I love the arc and I love that she kind of does become, you know, a young woman. She goes from a girl who's sort of, you know, being going where she feels herself led and she's got, you know, she protects Zula, you know, the Grace Jones role yeah. and she fights for Grace her. Jones. She says she gives orders, you know, like Conan, you know, save her, you know. And so she she spoke her mind, and I liked that. So I just was able to play around with, you know. Obviously, I got into some of these costumes and thought, bloody hell, you know, I've never, I've never, uh, I my mother would never let me wear this, you know, <laughs> at least let alone my father. But you know, the Italians is like, oh, it looks great. No, we love this. This is so beautiful, and it's gonna look great with the jewelry and the, you know, the teased hair and all of it. So perfect, you know. And um, but, you know, the Italians like that, too, as well as creating a Sumerian look. They were very uh, meticulous about every little thing from my tattoo on, you know, on my chest to uh, my hair to, you know, the boots I wore. And each outfit was actually concocted for um, a specific scene so that you had this gradual uh, which was kind of beautiful and very artistic. I thought the way they kind of had her morph and evolve until she became queen. So, and, yeah, I thought it was all really uh, great choices. And it's cool because that character was about coming of age. And then yeah. we could go we could go on like about all kinds of stuff you've done. But then the Wonder Years, which you brought up a lot, which is uh, I think one of the best shows ever. And um, and I'm not Thank just you. saying I'm when whenever we've had people on when I don't like their show, I also tell them that it's you know, you're in a pretty shitty show. So I, <laughs> I do. I do mean it. Um, the that character was the already you've, you're coming of age, but you're already of age to now be a rebel, to be this totally different character. So I, and and also to be like an American rebel, a very American rebel. Um very 60s American uh, rebel. So what was that like to take on that character in this iconic show? Uh, now iconic show at the time, you had no idea if it would go past uh, one season, but yeah. Yeah, I, I definitely, uh, not to toot my horn or the show's horn, but I mean, it has stood the test of time and it'll always be something very close to my heart and I will always feel eternally grateful for that opportunity to be part of something that's so important uh, in terms of American television and nostalgia and really as time goes on the value of the themes of the show and the show and the cast uh, because of the lessons that are embedded in each show it's just um, it, it just becomes more valuable because I think it was it was made in the 80s, you know, to make a show, a three camera show in the 80s that was a period piece, so to speak, um, 
was not easy to pull off, you know, but it just, it, it was about the cast. It was about Carol and Neil, it was about, about Carol Black and Neil Marlins, who'd done Growing Pains prior to The Wonder Years, which is such a completely different show when you yeah. think about it. It's a it's a sitcom. Uh, them it's to not also, it's also not as good. It's also not as good. See, I'm being yeah, honest. Yeah, I mean, I think it's thoroughly entertaining, but yes. I think it really gave them the opportunity to step it up to... I mean, I don't know if you knew this, but Neil Marlins, I mean, Neil was Fred in the 60s. So he, he it was his one oh. years and it was really his identity. So much of his identity was wrapped up in that show. And it was really important to him that he displayed with conviction uh, as truthfully as possible what his childhood was like. And it, it was also, you know, both he and Carol, there was a choice that they made not to define or specify um, where in America it took place. And I think that was a really smart decision because that's why I think so many people, it appealed to so many people, they in their own imagination could um, assume that it was it was their wonder years. It was, hey, that, that's that, it, that's exactly where I grew up. It's it's definitely Indiana. Some people thought, oh, that's, that's the outskirts of New York in the boroughs. Yeah. Oh, it could be California. It could be the South. I mean, obviously not the South because of our accents. But, but you know, it could have been really pretty much anywhere in America, with the exception of a few places. And I think, um, you know, it's just it was just so special. It has it had such a, uh, a an intimate feel when you were watching it. I think because of the narration and all the casting was so perfect and the writing was so stellar and. Um, I think that that's, you know, there's a formula to certain shows like All in the Family. So a lot of Norman Lear's shows that he did, you know, MASH and yeah. shows like that, that you look back and you go, well, you know, it just, it, you're just never going to see a show like that anymore. Though I think the new Wonder Years has been really, it was really, has been really great. Uh, and it, I love the fact that it's given us as the viewer an opportunity to see a whole different side of that time in history you know dealing with civil rights and martin luther king and all the things that we kind of tapped into but it's also given us the opportunity to hear a motown soundtrack rather than yeah. stephen wolf and janice joplin and hendrix and you know crosby stills and nash you know so um you know but but then i think if you think about all the shows that the wonder years spurred it, it, you know, like, uh, boy, you know, boy, boy meets. You know, what, what's the one that uh, Jared Leto and Claire Danes start? start oh, um, boy um, meets uh, world or boy, boy meets. No, uh, no, that was that's... Ben Savage's brother Fred. Yeah, that's uh, right. But there was another uh, one. It was, uh, it was on. It was on MTV. Um, it was on in the nineties. Um, yeah, with Claire Danes, Jared. Leto. Uh, my so-called life. Yes. Boy yeah. meets my so-called life. Right, exactly. <laughs> but I mean, if you think about all the shows that it inspired to take it to a whole nother level, uh, because the show was on a whole other level, I think just getting back to formula, you know, you know, you think about like the Book of Mormon and, and, and it's out there publicly that that formula and why the show worked for those those guys who did South Park was that they took the formula of um, South Pacific 
and and they applied it right. to the Book of Mormon, which just seems so surreal and 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 a little far fetched. But in actuality, they really did use that distinctive formula, but they just didn't. It wasn't as you know, obviously South Pacific wasn't quite as mad. But <laughs> if you take a formula, you know, you can they they go a long way. But I, I don't even know if Neil and Carol were thinking about that. I think. Norman Lear knew how to do that, you know, with his shows, because he did so many of them. But if you think about coming from Growing Pains, jumping into the Wonder Years, I think that it was a, a real artistic risk. And I think what made it so special with it was it was Neil's most personal story. And the greatest art is, I think, yeah. comes about when um, the creator um, makes it as personal as possible. So you're really, at the end of the day, making it for yourself. And when you cast it and the people that you hire, it's a sense that you get that they are going to commit in the way that you are. And they have a quality that um, has a resonance that you're looking for that is familiar to you. And is that with the um, with the with your character, Karen, in the show, was it a direct relation to his to Neil's sister? Did he have a sister well, that he was basing it on or? Yeah, it's funny. I didn't find out until much later. Obviously, they knew my diversity as an actor, and and I think that's one of the reasons they cast me because I'd done two episodes of the of Growing Pains, but two completely different roles, huh. two completely different characters. Uh, you know, one was, uh, you know, a, 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 a you know one of the employees at Whataburger or something that Kurt Cameron had a crush on, and I, uh, you know, I he sort of takes the bat he he takes the blame for me and he gets fired instead of me and i've actually messed up and uh and then and then the other one is a kind of like just a, another girl who just you know wasn't very bright and her name was carrie and she had like a poodle and you know i just i just thought he was so cute and um you know i'll be by anytime you want and so i they could see i could do things with my voice and play in america with no problem but it wasn't till much later, actually, about 15 years ago, I'd say, when we all got together, the whole cast, and Neil and Carol were there, and we went and did this. Uh, we were asked to go to USC to the film department to talk about the chemistry of what makes a, sh a show work and wh how how you what's the chemistry that's a, that needs to be aligned in order to have a win-win you know, something that's immediately successful. The network love it, the public love it. And um, because that's what all the kids in there were trying to do. And they said something, my name came up and I think somebody said, well, you know, well, Olivia's not even American. I mean, what, what, you know, what were you guys thinking when you cast Olivia because she's not American and like, wouldn't there have possibly been a better actress who was American and they were like, <laughs> Well, that's the problem going to, to speak at USC is you get idiots. Okay, sorry, yeah, I, I interject. I it, so, but but what they answered with was just kind of so, it caught me really, It I just kind of like, it really moved me actually. They said, well, what Olivia had was a quality that we were looking for. It was her essence. And she understood somehow, even though, it wasn't her time of you know when we shot the show you know it was a period piece she 
There's something very 60s about her, her spirit and her essence and her bohemian sensibility is why we cast her. Hmm. Um, so, you know, with Karen, I read that script. I remember going down Laurel Canyon Boulevard. And I usually don't read in a car because I get a headache like anyone else would. Um, but I just was so um, enamored with the script it, on such a visceral level that I just couldn't stop turning the pages. And I was just like mind blown going, this is the best script I've ever read in my life. Like not, not even just a TV script. It's the best film script I've ever written, the best play. It just spoke to me. And she, uh, Karen, spoke to me uh, in a very intense way. And you know, I just thought this is my part. Like I, I, I just, I, I'm going to play this role. I completely manifested it. Hmm. You know, I did everything. I went back five times. I borrowed wardrobe from my mom's closet. I got extensions down to my ass. Uh, I was <laughs> just like anything I had to do to put myself in that era uh, successfully and truthfully is what I did. And I really just, took everything that I had experience-wise and where I'd lived and morphed it into her. And every time I went in there, it's just, you know, it's just kind of about continually proving that you understand a character and then committing to it as authentically as you can. And, you know, that's sort of my feeling on acting overall anyway, is like there has to be a moment where you detach and go, look, okay, I've done the reading and I was, I was, I bought as much of myself as I could and my understanding of who this person is. I made my own individual authentic choices. And then if they cast you, great. If they don't, then that's great too. At least you can live with yourself because you haven't done a watered down version of what you think they're looking for or what you think it should yeah. be. It, it should be what speaks to you. And, and that's because acting at the end of the day, all we have is our choices and it's, about truth and that's the thing that really registers either on screen or on stage or you know and so with karen um it see sounds like there was a lot of olivia brought to karen there was yeah. uh neil's family and olivia both brought to this to make this this one uh character that's now become you know that the show and the characters are tv legend so um, when you do an event like you just did in, in New Jersey and you get to rewatch it and re-remember it, this is maybe an odd question, but I'm just curious. Like, how much do you still see of yourself when you're watching that versus, oh, that person, like, you're a different person now? Like, how much of Olivia is still Karen when you see it? Uh, quite a lot. Because... <laughs> I mean, I was pretty young. I was like 17 when I started the show. But you know, you know, you know what they say when they say as soon as you kind of come out, you are who you are your own person. I mean, some people more than others, but I think with me, I was pretty defined and I ha and quite stubborn and quite opinionated <laughs> and quite, you know, get like I like to get into debates. I like to seek the truth. Um, and I like to stick up for people that I love and you know I, there's certain traits that is that are quintessentially Olivia that are kind of also quintessentially Karen and um you know there's also a tenderness that Karen had that you didn't get to see 
the whole time that that I would be on camera. But there were certain episodes which luckily they gave me where you got to see all of her colors and you got to see uh, what was beneath the dogmatic, uh, you know, opinionated. But really, you know, most people at that age, in that point in time, whether you were pro-Vietnam or anti-Vietnam, you know, you were a little bit lost uh, as a teenager in the 60s, and, but you were you were very uh, clear on so many things, but because there was this war going on that was so unjust, you know, not unlike the war in the Ukraine right now, I mean, all war just doesn't seem right to me, you know, it doesn't balance yeah. out in terms of why we're actually having it and why people are being killed and we're losing lives that affects families and this, that and the other. But uh, I think, you know, just what was beneath all of that was actually a very sensitive human being that's, I think when we're that age in our in our youth, in our especially in our teens, uh, we have a bravado up, you know, and mm -hmm. um, in the way that Jane Fonda uh, does in like the China syndrome. I kind of t thought a lot about oh, yeah. her when I was like looking through movies and things like that. Movies from the sixties and the seventies uh, spoke to me. Just the the female approach, the feminism, Gloria Steinem. All of those those women were like, "Oh, I'm I'm a feminist and hear me roar, Hammond. <laughs> yeah, don't fuck with me. I'm on a, I'm on my power trip. You know, and, and it's, it's just." <laughs> I, I, I think, you know, and fierce. And, you know, I think that this generation have a lot to learn from those women because that they really did put their ass on the line. And, um, you know, they didn't just tweet at, about at it. Time that was that was, you know, it was kind of uncouth. Oh, yeah. um, so. And uh, and so then. What's it like to come off of? a show like the wonder years or for you the wonder years and you know the the world is your oyster there's tons of projects but is there there's you almost know i mean the the person the the how much um it was karen was you and now it's time to go off and do the rest of hollywood um and i like one movie i love that you did that i loved as a kid was uh, uh greedy um, oh yeah, yeah. Because uh, it was like a play, that movie charade, and it was kind of like that. It was a, uh, um, well, just yeah. so clever. Um, but movies like that, so to come, you know, that's like a farce. So how was it to, uh, you know, we're, since we're we're woke, um, how was it to transition from Wonder Years to other roles like uh, like Greedy, and the list goes on. Yeah. Um... You know, I, I, was, I was I sort of made a definitive choice whilst I was doing the Wonder Years. Um, it may not have been the smartest choice for me financially, but artistically, if there were, I, I, I noticed that there would be times where I would be more heavily involved in the shows and, and then there would be shows that I wouldn't be in because obviously the focal point was 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 uh, was Fred and Josh and and Winnie and uh, for for quite a substantial amount of time, I think the network felt like that was the gold 
um, of the of, of the show. Uh, and and as time went on, they started to expand more on the other characters. And Wayne would get his own show, and Norma got her show Pottery in the first season. And Jack would, you know, it it mm. was time to evolve and move on to some of these other characters that were also very interesting. But within during that process, I um, was paid initially for all shows produced, which basically means you get paid whether you're heavily in the show, in the show completely, or not in the show at all, meaning you get a paycheck every week. And so I just, what was really important to me was to keep a, to keep growing as, as a young actor, um, to keep expanding my horizons to get better um, and uh, to, to, to just deepen my work. And so I said, hey, uh, how about if you, I spoke to my agent and was like, hey, how about, um, if you don't pay me all shows produce and I can go off and, you know, do a, do a movie or, um, you know, a lifetime movie or so I went off and did all these other projects. And I really think I benefited from that because I think mm. I did get, I became a better actress, a deeper actress. And then, then that, uh, that therefore, I mean, even the producer said it to me once, you know, he said, yeah, you've really grown uh, as an actor because I, I was starving for that, for just more experience. And, um, I'd come back and it'd be cool because I they'd write a show for me, you know, where I'd go up, go up to the hill and you'd actually finally get to see what Karen did on her time and how that coincided with her relationship with her little brother. And um, so it, it, I think the show just expanded for everybody. Um, so uh, by the time the show ended, I was doing a play with at the taper with Juliet Stevenson and Frank Langella called Scenes from an Execution. I was... Hmm. Um, I did, uh, you know, a film with Bridget Fonda, which was the remake of uh, La Femme Nikita. I was already doing movies. And I so that choice creatively really paid off for me. So I feel like um, there was just a great springboard for me um, on, 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 on being on the one years and getting the exposure, but also um, getting the opportunity to also play other characters so that I could you know, just uh, continue to, to to get better and, and have great experiences. And so um, many. I, I, mean, so I many. remember doing Greedy. It was, uh, you know, it was, it was great. I did Greedy and Wayne's World 2 at the same time. And my agents had to figure out a way with the dates because they were completely conflicting. I'll give you an example. It's like I remember, hmm. you know, I'd just done this film with Dana Carvey called Clean Slate with he and uh, yeah. you know, Kevin. Kevin, Kevin Pollock and uh, but you know Valeria Golino you know who's this very sexy Italian actress and she's you know we were friends and she's like you know baby I, I can't believe we're doing this movie together you know with the Zuckermans you know and uh, <laughs> I, so I, I I worked with Dana and he's like hey you're kind of funny and hey how oh you really <laughs> what really that's uh so he just he he got you he, he got me. He was like, yeah, I totally get you. You're really kind of like a character actress. And you do all these characters and all these voices. And, you know, we've been trying to, you know, I'm, you know he's like, you know, I'm thinking about who to cast as Garthette, who's like, you know, the female version of me. And, you know, I just can't really think of anybody. And nor can Lauren Michaels or, you know, Mike Myers. And I was like, he's like, you know, you think you can kind of, you know, move your mouth like this, <laughs> naughty in a naughty place, you know. <laughs> so I started playing around. 
at the catering table and he's like oh he's like yeah this is this is gonna work really well he's gonna he's like i'm gonna call learn right now and so <laughs> i ended up at this table reading literally doing all the female roles at the table reading with the exception of tia carrera who came and they'd offered me the drew barrymore part which was a bigger role oh really I was, oh i want to I want to play Gothette because she's a nerd and I'm a nerd. And, uh, you know, <laughs> people don't really know that about me, but I'm a complete buffoon and and quite nerdy. And uh, I just wanted to lean into that. I was really ready for that. And I would love the fact that I got to do that and play this sex bomb and greedy, you know, this sort of cockney, you know, nurse who's sort of like, you know, I'll give him a right good one, you know. And um, again, I, I was always looking, and I, I still am, just as an actor, generally speaking, for an experience, something that is going to um, really excite me and stimulate me creatively where I'm maybe not quite sure if I'm going to be able to, you know, I, not that I doubt myself a lot, but I, I like getting nervous. I like, oh, this feels like I'm getting a little bit knee deep in the water here and I'm not quite sure what what ha what's going to happen next. I feel like that's when there's something really exciting that's going to happen that's going to be incredibly rewarding to you as an artist. And so, you know, one day when they worked all the dates out, I literally had to go from the set of greedy in order to work the next day and I had uh, on Wayne's World too. I had to drive to Wayne, you know, where we did the Wayne Stock thing with Aerosmith, yeah, Chris Farley mm -hmm. and all those guys. Had to go and spend the night in, um, you know, uh, Malibu Canyon, uh, where they did Wayne Stock, uh, where they, we where we shot it with all those like super cool primitive looking rocks. <laughs> yeah. And I stayed the night in my trailer. You know, and because and I had a 5 a.m. call and I we finished at 10 p.m. on Greedy. And so I didn't have time to go home. And they're like, you know, my manager's like, oh, OK, here's what we're going to do. You're going to you're going to literally <laughs> drive to Malibu Canyon. You're going to sleep in your trailer and then you'll be just shower there. You do all your stuff there and then you'll be ready to go the next day. That's the only way it's going to work. And I said, <laughs> OK, that's that sounds good to me. Yeah. So pack a bag. You know, when you go to the green, you said, pack a bag, get a toothbrush, you know, do the whole thing, you know, be prepared. And because, uh, you know, tomorrow's a big day. And and, just, and then you're you know, on uh, the set and then you're on uh, the Wayne's World set. And then I'm on the set and I get to meet Aerosmith and, you know, Christopher Walken's in the movie and, <laughs> you know, Chris Farley. I just loved meeting him. He was just so full of life and incredibly just 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 like hey I'm Chris you know <laughs> yeah. so jazzed to meet you it's great to meet you sorry <laughs> <laughs> um and it was like a dream really you know and uh, and with, just, with Dana I'm just curious because and then and then I know Rohit needs to ask you about uh, about something very important to him but the uh okay. with with Dana who is uh a world-class uh, impressionist, right? He's yes. Did, went working with him on on a couple films, and you're so good at it. Did you guys like? Do you just guys just have voice-offs where you just like go back and yeah. forth? Yeah, I, basically. Yeah, and then he had a really. He still does uh, have a very um, 
like his brother's like a scientist or or a chemist or he's like a super super smart brainiac and he kind of went everywhere with with uh with dana and uh he would he would kind of say dana you know do that voice and and dana would go into that voice and and then i kind of he'd go you know you know can you do that voice and i'd kind of go well you can try and you know <laughs> just kind of do that voice and it would be like a you know uh just a game it would be a game it's like you know i guess the way you know things go if you're a groundling or something which i just the show i just did in kentucky hot kitchen there's we you know most of the cast are groundlings so you know oh. there's a lot of improv that we did and you know it's uh the the most fun in the world is to be around super creative funny people who are free in themselves and they are uh, bold enough to just uh, jump off the cliff and that's when it starts to become playful uh and and just the most fun you can have and that's i think a, a perfect uh segue to um our if you can tell rohit is uh is a is a bit of a star wars fan oh but, yeah, yeah. kind of got there's there. um <laughs> yeah there, there there's there's some uh some legos i got lightsabers uh yeah the, it, it's kind of a, a problem <laughs> but when i found out you know we get a chance to interview luminara for our show yes i was pretty damn excited so you know i think as an actor you it, it's you know if which is real quick for those are, who Luminar is a character in the Star Wars universe, played by yes. Olivia. Um, yes. For those who who aren't aren't familiar with the character, just so we know. So, Roy, keep going. Obviously. Yes. And so, you know, as a fellow nerd, <laughs> yes. I know there's lots of places. <laughs> there's lots of places, like lots of franchises you could be in, but the top of the mountain at least in my opinion, is to be cast into a Star Wars property. I don't know if you feel the same way, but I was wondering, like, could you tell us about that? You know, like how you, how you feel about the Star Wars universe and, and, you know, any, if you have any anecdotes about it. Mm. Well, again, I feel incredibly privileged, very lucky. Uh, you know, uh, so much of this business is, is your talent, but, uh, you know, it's, it's a real to toss up between talent, timing and luck. And, um, you know, I got into, uh, and, and very happily so, that I got into and broke into voiceovers like 20 years ago. Um, so, because it's an incredibly elitist group um, and it's a small group and, and the casting system is, you know, very particular and, uh, you know, you need to work your way up. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's one of the best jobs in the world because you can show up in your pajamas and with, with Star Wars, uh, Luminara, you know, she, we'd kind of known about her from the uh, live action movie um, where I believe an actress played her. And so when they uh, transferred over into bringing her to life, uh, which was an idea and only supposed to be one to two shows, uh, kind of, uh, you know, where, um, uh, you know, the, the other character is my apprentice and obviously I'm a Jedi. So I, I did, I went in and I, I read for it um and and they really liked my read and um and then they cast me and but i didn't know it was going to be a reoccurring role for the entire you know for right. quite a few shows which then led into other opportunities uh you know they i love i just love i've had several opportunities of playing characters 
in television where they die and then they come back to life. You know, <laughs> Paul Wallace being one of them. It's like, I just, you know, she, that that's a whole other kettle of fish. But I mean, I came I love... back to life as Nicole Wallace on a completely different show, which was shot in Paris. And it was because <laughs> of the writer who uh, wrote, uh, who created Nicole Wallace on Law and Order Criminal Intent. And his name was Rene Balsamo. And he's an amazing writer. Um, and he did his own show in Paris with Jean Renault. So he brought me back to life. But the, but the fact that it was J.J. Abrams' idea to uh, to combine all the Jedis in the whole trilogy, in the whole franchise, you know, whether you be an animated character or a live action character, and bring all the Jedis back for, for, for that one particular scene toward the end of the movie to really inspire, um, you know, the main the main character. The female main character was just, I mean, it's just so, it was just, I, I got this call in 2019, you know, I was in Beverly Hills somewhere just parked, you know, which I do quite, quite, <laughs> quite often. I just park on the side of the road. If oh, I so that's to... you, I see. Okay, yeah, got it. Yeah, that's me. That's yeah. me. It's always me. <laughs> Never in, the big, in, the, in the big camper with the kind of just like setting up a chair outside. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, that's you. That one, yeah, yeah. I got, so I got this call, you know, from it was actually a message that I got from like Camp Star Wars up in like, you know, San Francisco. And it was this woman who just said, hi, Olivia, this is uh, Amanda so-and-so, and we think we have what's an interesting opportunity for you. Uh, <laughs> if you'd like to call me back, uh, this is my number, and my extension is 315. And I called her back, and I spoke to her, and she's like, well, I mean, are you interested in coming back and playing Luminara in, in, in Rise and Fall of Skywalker? We're almost done shooting it. We're just doing, you know, the, the, the last part of it and i was like (laughs) (laughs) i'll think about it (laughs) yeah yeah yes how many uh, times and i and i and i did say i you know i wanted to be ethical and so i said yes and she's like good because we can just deal with you or we can call your agent it's really up to you and i said yeah well yeah probably best to call my agent so i put them through my agent um at imperium seven and and um and they set it up and I I mean I like literally a week later I was going to the Star Wars main camp here in Los Angeles which is in Santa Monica and I walked through the doors and I didn't know I was going to be doing a session with J.J. Abrams I mean that was completely unbeknownst to me I just thought I'd be in there with like an engineer and um, you know I walked in and to the right of me, there's like, you know, Chewbacca behind these glass doors you know, <laughs> and, and like Princess Leia's, you know, sort of donut hairdo. And there's like an entire kitchen of like sushi chefs in front of me with like copper, you know, copper sort of um, a seating area. And, and it, it's just completely off the hook. Like everywhere you look, you just literally walk into the Star Wars universe. And uh, I said, you realize and, you're like what you're describing now for Rohit is porn. It's yeah, porn. I'm just like porn. Yeah. Tears. Yeah, it's like, it's like joy it's, and jealousy. Yeah. I mean, you know what? I give you have good reason to be jealous Rohit, <laughs> because, because I nah. was just I had an out of body experience. And so they took me up several flights of stairs and I went into this just 
epic sound stage. It's all black, very high ceilings, and there's this kind of, you know, lovely man who's there, and he's like very chill. Seems like seems kind of like a Jedi to me too, in a way. But he's you know on the technical side behind the cameras, and <laughs> and he's like.、Um, So、uh, we're just gonna wait a couple of minutes because、uh, I believe the JJ is gonna come in now, and、uh, he wants to be in session with you、uh, to direct you through each line.、Uh, and <laughs> and by the way, here are your lines, you know. And I have I'm just like standing by this stand, and he's miking、uh-huh. me. And then JJ Abrams bloody well walks in, <laughs> just like what? <laughs> This is, just, this,、oh、my God. this is just crazy, and、um, he couldn't have been nicer. He's just such a lovely, lovely man, and、um, I, you know, he directed me, and I spent several hours with him, you know, going through each line, and then he gave me the opportunity to, and then he'd kind of be like right by my ear, going, you know, try it this way, and. You know, and I so I try it that way, and he go, okay, on this line, just just like say whatever you want to say, because because you know Luminara, so just yeah, just just kind of do whatever you want to do, just but but just let it flow, and then maybe go into the last line, you know, just kind of marry the two, and so <laughs> I did that, and、uh, it just it was just a complete dream come true, and and then you know when I was on the Clone Wars, I actually got to in every episode that I did that I was in. I would get to be in there with like all of the cast, like twelve of the. So sorry, my、uh, emails are going off. I I'm just no, wasn't quite sure how to do it. Yeah. But yeah, but I mean that was just mad in the most amazing way, because it's just the most. It was the most brilliant group of voiceover actors, and some of them are actors, and some of them are just strictly do. Voiceovers, and there, there's、right. a real correlation between voiceover actors and comedians. You know. It's it's who they are when they're not saying their lines and we have a break and everybody just kind of starts talking and everybody's like and some you know we all have characters inside of our head that we're kind of like trying on with each other you know <laughs> and it's just and and obviously the animators were there so、oh, they're、cool. behind the glass and they're sitting there sketching because they're trying to find all the little nuances and pick up on all the little nuances that we. As actors have、uh, and, and the facial movements and you know the expressions and the way we speak and so that they're they're trying to pick up on the local osmosis that's in the room. So it just is just the most live,、um, amazing experience. I mean, just what incredible! Just I'm just so lucky, you know. It's just.、Uh, And、I, I, I, you know, I'm part of a group called the Dirty Dozen, and it's about twelve actors who've done both Star Wars and Star Trek. And、uh-huh. um, I played a, you know, I just did one episode playing this character, Amanda Don,、um, Amanda Rogers, who's also omnipotent like Luminara, and she's a Q. So,、uh, <laughs> you know, the, there's a similarity between a Jedi and a Q in terms of their omnipotent powers, right? Um, and I'm, I, I just kind of notice a pattern with some of the work that I've done. Is it? It'll kind of go, you know, omnipotent, clairvoyant character, you know, hippie,、uh, <laughs> nerd.、Uh, then you know, oh, oh, here we have. I think、uh, Olivia's ready for another、uh, omnipotent、uh, character. <laughs> you know, and then it'll be like sitcom, sitcom, weird movie. 
shouldn't have done that movie uh <laughs> to uh okay and, and now now we're gonna play a serial killer and now we're gonna you know and then back to uh playing playing a jedi you know e either way you toss it whether it's live action or animation it's still a character uh that you are uh given the opportunity to create from the toes up you know and and it's, it's uh and it's just amazing and what i mean your your career and and what's to come and we're i mean it's i could sit here and talk with you for uh about <laughs> 20 hours more and also and we're going to so if you have 20 more hours we're just going to keep going <laughs> yeah uh no bathroom no breaks. bathroom breaks Nothing. no 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 food but uh except for porridge when your brother brings the porridge back in so yeah uh but I do want to give back to you one thing before uh, before we uh, end this this uh, this your time on the Hopeless Show for this episode because we're gonna have you back a lot. You just didn't know okay. it yet. But uh, really? now we're gonna give you give you something because we are the Hopeless Show and we bring hope to people to all things hopeless. Um, <laughs> it, is, there, is there is so there some? It's a show for the underdogs. It's the show for the underdogs. It is. It is. I love that. I love that. Underdog underdogs are cool. The, the epitome of cool to me is people who don't know they're cool. They they're not they're not what's considered. I mean, what is cool anyway? That's a whole other show. But, yeah. but and the, only assholes root for the overdog. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And yes. what is cool? What like uh, I think it's really cool. Look, you've played like bombshells and. Uh, beauties and and stuff but you also were garthette you were like a super mega nerd in wayne's world which i think is super cool like yeah it depends on and like so w w the definition of what is cool is uh well we'll do another episode on that but for now i have to give you this opportunity to bring up anything that you feel hopeless about right now and we have to in just a minute or two bring you hope that's our okay. job and if we don't if we fail um sorry in advance but okay. we're gonna try all right um so we like like for real like i gotta get personal and vulnerable no 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 <laughs> it could just be like it would, could just be you stubbed your you, you stubbed your toe or you could tell us uh you know we're here to give you uh life therapy either way um i i i feel a bit hopeless about does Putin have to die in order for the Ukraine war to end? Or Ooh. Ooh. Um I'm getting deep, guys, because I'm a deep truth seeker. <laughs> so I'm gonna make you work for your for our... Well, we're gonna you know what? Uh, oh anyway, it's been great having Olivia Dabo on the show. Thank you so much. <laughs> and uh sorry, we just ran out of time. No, no, well uh so uh Answer your question. Yeah, Ro so, do you, so, Rowan, I have so, an idea. Uh, I so yeah. with two A's, Aaron the wolf. All right, I'm gonna gi I'm gonna give it to you. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Whoa. <laughs> I mean, I have the mattress. So, okay. um, I do. I, I do not. Oh I, my god. I do not think that uh, he needs to die in order for Ukraine to win. I think already a year into this war approximately we are uh seeing that the ukraine has defied 
just about every odd possible. People thought yes. two weeks in, Zelensky would be dead. He wasn't. He's still with us and leading them, and they're on the offensive in a lot of ways now. So I think to try to expect what we think is going to happen with this war, which now they say in order for this war to end, Putin has to die, um, yes. is us being naive to the fact that this has been a war of the unexpected. So I don't think we're going to—I don't think— that we know the narrative as it's going to play out and to be to be to be simple enough to think we can predict it with uh with the with Putin having to die I think is also naive because I think it's going to it could go in many different directions and uh so far it's only it's surprised mainly with breaths of fresh air that at least that they've done so well and the world's come together minus uh Trump the other night with with him saying that he didn't care who won. Um, the world has come together around Ukraine, and uh, and I think uh, I think that's the they're... positive, less hopeless outlook. Yes, yeah. I mean, and another thing is he's going to be he's possibly the one of the hardest men in the world uh, if somebody was to try and do something like that. If there was someone to try to take him out, and here's the thing, it might be better with him alive because if he was to meet some sort of untimely end, that is enough. For Russia, because it's not just him pushing the buttons in Russia that that believes that they want, you know, the USSR to rise again and wants to take over Ukraine and all that. It's not just him. Not only would somebody else step into his place, but his death would then be blamed on the West. And it would then be a cause for war that could be even a greater scale. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like better the devil, you know, and maybe he'll get tired out um, with fewer things to sort of expand this war beyond the borders of Russia, Ukraine. So, yeah, I think, yeah, he's not going to die, and it might be better if he doesn't. Do you, And now, Olivia, do you feel a little more hope? I certainly do, and I'll tell you why, because, you know, you both seem to have a wealth of uh, understanding on this whole premise and topic, and, uh, um, you know, you just, you've just made a lot of interesting po points, including some very real things that I hadn't thought of, which is, you know, the positive aspects of this war, um, which just, I couldn't see the wood from the trees. I, I couldn't see any positives until this very moment. Well, that's, that's why you came on. And now is the time when you, uh, thank Get us. Back. So you, will you, will you just thank us for, uh, for being willing to help you? <laughs> yeah, you've saved me just just thousands of dollars in therapy, and I, <laughs> exactly. I, I thank you for that. No, in joking aside, it's been so fun having you on. I mean, uh, everything uh, we've we've you've said it all, but there's still more to say. And uh, I just I've had a blast. It's been and and, and very insightful too. So I really uh, thank you uh, for for coming on. Uh, as have i yes and, and one thing olivia is aaron and i have interviewed a number of guests and i think you have been the one guest that has actually like we didn't really have to ask you too many questions because you kind of just predicted what we were already going to ask and you just kind of talked to it so thanks for that yeah this is ai me right now i'm not even actually yes. here crazy what's ai me what, what, what? ai i'm i'm it's artificial intelligence aaron right now because okay. I didn't actually need to be here because you did all the work. Right. That's handy, isn't it? Yeah, it's perfect. So I'm actually like at home cooking real me. 
<laughs> this is getting very meta now. But it's, thank you, so, Olivia. This has been so fun. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And uh, hope uh, to the audience that we've in, you've enjoyed Olivia. And real quick, where if they want to follow you on socials, what's your social stuff? If you want to, uh, you, you know give my uh, my social media. You know my uh, my Instagram address. Yeah, right? we're friends on Instagram. Um, so, so, so can you tell me what it is? Cause, uh, <laughs> I love it. This is why, this is it's why you're badass. Is it, isn't um, it Olivia Dabo? Is yeah, it it's just, it's your name. It's just Olivia Dabo. Uh, that's it. That's you. Yeah. So, as, is, as is my Twitter, I believe. Um, as is your Twitter. So, um, and then I'm on, I'm on Facebook as well. Um, it's a Facebook fan page, but you know, I also have a, another facebook page i have two and then uh, you can always go to for any information um in terms of what i'm up to you can go to www.oliviadarbo.net is my um website All right. and and we will find whoever took dot com and we're going to send them a nasty yeah yeah please please, please take care of that would you love well, in our crime syndicate, our new crime syndicate, yeah. that could be our yeah, that could be our first mission. Yeah, yeah, is to uh, our first murder. I'm really excited. well, not murder. It's, we're just calling them people. eliminations. Eliminations. Yes. Target, target, target eliminations. eliminations. Yeah. We're not murderers. Um, so thank you and uh, um, yay. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, See you next time. And, uh, it's been a real pleasure um, uh, spending this time with you guys. So thank you for your wonderful questions and your wonderful presence and uh, much love to you and everybody out there when the world seems gold and bleak and you just can't take it anymore here it comes that glimmer of hope a light shines through the dark it's a hopeless show with Aaron and Rogan it's a hopeless show